This woman looks like she got hit by norovirus, but if it was liberally applied to a baseball bat and then used to pound her head in. everybody welcome back to witch fix today we're doing a really odd film uh which i watched yesterday and to be honest i wasn't entirely sure if i was gonna review this for the channel or not but the thing that kind of swayed it is that it was recommended by a viewer so thank you claire for that experience and uh, also i thought it'd be interesting to kind of talk about it and, and how i felt about it from like a witchy occult perspective because there are some light elements in the movie that could be read as being occult so i thought it might be interesting just to talk through it and go over a little bit about what happens before i do that i do have to give an alarming number of trigger warnings so please be aware that the movie i'm about to talk about is a certificate 18 and contains flashing lights uh, sexual assault, cannibalism, necrophilia, mentions of paedophilia, self-harm and suicide, as well as strong gory violence. So please be aware of that if you listen to the rest of this review or go on to watch the movie, you might be upset or disturbed by some of the content. This is also going to be quite a difficult one for me to go over the plot of simply because it's a two-hour movie, which, although it does have a plot, has a lot of scenes which are mostly silent or incredibly meaningful or mostly about imagery. It's a very arty movie and I wouldn't say that the plot in itself with just me describing it to you is going to be enough to understand or know what's going on because I watched the fucking film and I still don't think I understand what was going on. But there we go. So please be aware that this review will contain spoilers for the plot if you want to go and watch the movie before i talk about it you can do that but from this point on it gets very spoilery so the movie itself is about a girl called jessie played by Elle fanning uh, who is a small town girl who's come to la to make it as a model uh, which is something that happens a lot i guess there's a lot of films about this sort of thing happening a lot of books a lot of various different types of film uh, and obviously suspicions are high that it's not going to end well for her but we start off with Jessie and a photo shoot being done by her boyfriend Dean uh, where she has her throat slit with lots of like bright blood coming out and he's taking pictures of her that she can take around to get hired by an agency uh, to start her modeling career after this photo shoot, she meets a lady called Ruby who is a makeup artist compliments her skin is very keen to like get in with her and be friendly and then invites her to a party so already there's kind of being you know red flags thrown up by ruby she's been incredibly complimentary she's found out that jesse has no parents uh, and has invited her to a party at the party jesse is not dressed up as she was for the photo shoot in sort of the off camera moments for her she very much looks like what she is which is an underage girl who should not be in the big city wearing very kind of loose maidenly clothing i would say uh whereas everyone else kind of looks the same both on and off shoot which is an idea that kind of comes into play later 
So at the party, she's just kind of following Ruby around like a nervous duckling and gets introduced to two other main characters, Gigi and Sarah, who are both models uh, who know Ruby as a makeup artist. They have one of those sort of arty, meaningful film conversations where their entire conversation is incredibly pointed and full of a lot of things that will probably become relevant later. Uh, but they talk about how lipsticks are usually named after food or sex, and then they ask Jessie if she is food or sex, and various other comments that make her slightly uncomfortable. They compliment her a lot uh, about how her natural blonde hair is very beautiful, and how Gigi wishes her hair looked like that, and that she has her real nose, which is also lovely, and it's revealed that Gigi has had a lot of plastic surgery. It very quickly starts to feel like an interview with the other three women just kind of standing in a line, firing questions at her, kind of interrogating her and making her uncomfortable. But then they leave to go and watch a show, which is a lot of strobe lighting, uh, which goes on for a while while they kind of watch what looked like a floating contortionist tied up with ropes. The next day, uh, Jessie goes to meet with Roberta, uh, um, an agent. She instantly gets signed by her. She says that she like is special and great and everything's going Jessie's way. Even though when Roberta goes to get like a parental release form, she just walks past three women in the foyer, looks at one of them and goes, you can leave. So obviously this woman is very harsh and very quick to judge and yet she's flawed by Jessie. So it, it feels like Jessie's very much got the golden ticket at this point. She also tells Jessie to lie about her age and claims to be 19, even though she is only just 16, and that people will believe what they're told, so she doesn't have to worry about it. Her boyfriend Dean takes her out, uh, and they go up onto the hills, maybe by the Hollywood sign, I can't remember. They're just sort of walking around and talking, and she talks about how she used to look at the moon and think that it was like a big eye and she would say can you see me to the moon and then she tells him that she doesn't have any talents she's not good at like writing or making music or acting or any of that stuff but she is pretty and that's like the only thing that she can bank on and he says of course she must have other talents and she says that she isn't sure and that she doesn't know if she wants to lie about her age or not and he tells her to do what she thinks is right so throughout the movie, Dean is kind of this voice of normal logic. He's just trying to like build her up as anything other than just a pretty face to be taken advantage of. Although it was worth mentioning at this point that she is not legal and he is still dating her. So it's unclear if they've actually slept together or not, but it's weird nonetheless. When she gets back to the motel that she's been staying at, the lights in her room won't work and she looks around the door and sees a shape moving around in there. She goes to the management office, which contains Keanu Reeves. His name is Hank in the movie. Um, and him and a guy called Mikey are very reluctant to come and look at the room. They think that she's a, probably a drug addict causing problems. It's not a very classy establishment. But when they get up there with a baseball bat, they open the door. And I thought maybe they were going to do the horror movie thing of like, oh, well, there's nothing there. But no, there's a mountain lion in her room and it's wrecking the joint. Um, which is something I'll come back to later. But Hank is not very happy about this. He just shuts the door and tells her that she's responsible for the damages and have to pay for it because she left the door open, like the, the sliding doors at the back, and that's how the mountain lion got in, which is apparently something that can happen in LA. Her face, though, when they open the door and see that it's a mountain lion, isn't surprised like or shocked in any way. She's just kind of like, oh no, this has happened again and now there are witnesses. 
it's that kind of expression of kind of non-surprise but just bewilderment and put outness. It's a very odd expression. She then goes to a photo shoot um, where Ruby greets her and does her makeup. Uh, she's meant to be having this photo shoot with this famous photographer called Jack who does not fucking speak. He just drags her into like the spotlight and then oh he does speak but he doesn't like talk more than is necessary. He's just like take off your clothes and then he turns off all the lights and smears her in gold paint and takes photos of her. Um, he doesn't seem to do anything that's like creepily sexual but he does take a lot of liberties and is just like I'm just gonna rub paint all over your naked body without asking. So obviously that could be seen as assault but I mean she doesn't say anything about it and doesn't seem bothered by it afterwards. After she takes all the pictures uh, she finds that Ruby has waited for her outside and warns her not to be alone with the photographer and then Jessie says something interesting that she isn't as helpless as she looks and that she can handle it. Ruby then gives her her phone number and says that you can always call me, you know, if there's issues or problems. And I start to think maybe Ruby wasn't as red flaggy as she had been at the beginning of the movie. Boy, was I wrong. I'm a bad judge of character. Ruby meets up with Gigi and Sarah for lunch at a diner. And Sarah says that Gigi is nearing her expiration date as a model. And then they sort of talk a little bit how they're aging out of the industry and Gigi says you know Jessie hasn't got anything special so she's just young and thin but Sarah says no she has something that like special thing it might be Ruby that says that but she says that Jessie has a sort of ineffable quality that is what people want uh, and it's not just about youth or beauty it's about something else perhaps this quality might be innocence or some sort of weird esoteric power that she has after this, Sarah and Jessie are at the same casting session. It's this very bleak white room where all the models are just in underwear and high heels. They look cold uh, and they have to just keep walking up and down for a very disinterested looking designer man and the casting agent. Sarah does like her walk and he barely looks at her. Like he doesn't look at her at all. He's just turning his little handkerchief into a rose to put in his pocket. But obviously, as soon as Jessie does her walk, he is magnetised to look at her, instantly wants to cast her, and Sarah is very defeated by this. I'm not sure if it's some sort of clever lighting or makeup, but in this whole scene, Jessie is like luminous, like she is made of moon milk, whereas Sarah looks very shadowy in all of her like under eyes and under her jawline, and she looks skeletal and sick and very tired and like she has like no inner light of her own. I feel like I'm bashing this actress if they didn't do anything to her to make her look like this, but I'm pretty sure they did. So I apologize to the actress if they didn't. After the casting session, which was not very successful for Sarah, she goes into the bathroom and smashes the mirror with a large heavy metal thing that might be a paper towel dispenser, but it had the weight of like two handguns. So Jessie hears the noise and goes into the bathroom and finds Sarah just sitting amongst the broken glass, her portfolio ripped to shreds, her like robe hanging open so her underwear's all on display. She looks frazzled and like she's completely done. And Sarah says to Jessie not to pretend like she doesn't know that people see her, whereas they don't see Sarah. Sarah feels like a ghost, she feels ignored, whereas everybody looks at Jessie and everyone notices her. Um, and she asks uh, Jesse, how it feels to be the sun in winter, to be this 
amazing thing that people just want to look at all the time and Jessie admits that it's everything so she's gone from this kind of naive kind of ingenue person to someone who knows exactly what it is she has that people want and I found it quite interesting that here um Sarah calls her the sun and we previously heard Jessie talk about the moon so uh, come back to that later when Je Sarah lunges towards Jessie she kind of moves backwards and stabs her hand on a piece of broken mirror and then Sarah grabs her hand and like sucks up a bunch of her blood at which point uh, Jessie like panics and flees so that's sort of the first weird like horror thing that happens because this is a psychological horror movie and I will say that I found that the middle act sort of after this point and then before the movie really kicks up again I did start to get a little bit bored but then boy howdy it woke me up in a big way. We find out through a very short scene that Ruby has another makeup artist job which is putting makeup on corpses. Um, I guess it's some sort of funeral home or mausoleum place. I'm not sure. Uh, but then we go to Jesse again who is waiting for Keanu Reeves to go into his little apartment so she can get to her room without seeing him because, you know, she still owes him a lot of money. She disinfects her hand and screams because it's apparently real painful and does start to fizz alarmingly. Uh, Dean then arrives with some roses, but as soon as she answers the door to him, she passes out and she sees this symbol, which is basically, if you've ever played The Legend of Zelda, it's the Triforce, but upside down. So it's like... Um, one upward pointing equilateral triangle with two downward pointing ones at the top and then another one below so it forms a bigger triangle. Uh, but she sees that and then she sees hands like pushing through the wallpaper and then she wakes up on the bed where Dean is like trying to take care of her hand. There is blood like on the bed and all down her skirt from where she's like rubbed it with her bloody hand so she's not getting her security deposit back even if the mountain lion hadn't got in. Dean then goes downstairs and gives Hank, aka Keanu Reeves, $140 for the damages to the room, which is a number that Hank makes up. And it basically then Hank tells him that if he's not getting something for this gentleman act, then he's a sucker and that he should go hook up with the 13-year-old runaway girl in an adjacent room. Um, so Hank's not a nice man. And then Dean goes back to like take care of Jesse's hand. So he's trying to do the right thing, I guess. But I think this also kind of calls into question his motives in hanging out with this innocent, new-to-town, underage girl. Now it's Gigi's turn to be intimidated. Uh, Jesse, having been cast in this fashion show, shows up to Gigi getting ready there. Gigi is kind of disbelieving that Jessie managed to get this show, uh, accuses her of fucking the designer, uh, and then brags that she didn't even have to do the casting. She just shows up, tells them what she wants to wear, and they let her wear it. So there we go. She also describes her lengthy schmurgus bird of plastic surgery that she's had. And when Jessie asked her if that was painful, she tells her that anything worth having hurts a little and that no one likes the way they look. And then Jessie kind of pipes up in this little mousy voice that she does like the way she looks. So again, it's kind of this thing where she's now more comfortable talking about this. Like before she had to be really prompted and told not to be modest by Sarah. And now when Gigi just makes an offhand comment that no one likes how they look, she pipes up and says, actually, I do like the way I look. 
So she's getting more confidence in herself. Uh, the more work she gets, the more people validate her. Jessie is then summoned by the designer and told that she's closing out the show. And then we see all the women lined up to go on stage. And they're wearing kind of normal-ish kind of form-fitting outfits. Very minimalist, very minimal hair, kind of sleek buns. Whereas Jessie at the back is wearing a big sequined gown with this elaborate knotted ponytail and lots of makeup. She's very obviously been elevated as the sort of star here. Then there's like a really long sequence, which was sort of the point at which I began to feel bored by the movie because this section didn't really have a lot of plot, just a lot of like colour theory and shapes. But essentially, Jessie like is about to go out onto the stage and she just sees that she's in this big black space walking towards the big Triforce symbol that's upside down. And then it shifts from blue to red. She like walks towards it and goes through a big triangle. And there's another her in there making out with her reflection. It goes on for a real long time. Anywho, following the show, uh, Jesse leaves uh, with the designer and sort of brings Dean along to introduce him. But this time, for the first time, she leaves a shoot dressed up. So she's got curled hair. She's got makeup on. She's wearing um, like a very kind of low cut, sparkly top and very tight jeans. She isn't like freshly showered with undone hair, no makeup and wearing like a big diaphanous pale dress. So it's kind of like her on stage modeling persona is now part of her constantly. Like this is just how she looks. The designer then basically humiliates Gigi by saying that beauty can't be manufactured. You're either pretty or you're not. And no amount of surgery or anything like that is going to make you beautiful. You'll just look acceptable. And he tells Dean, like, you know, how would you describe Gigi? And he says, I guess she's fine. And the designer's like, exactly. She's fine, but she's not beautiful. And obviously that's really mean to say in front of Gigi. Um, the designer then says that Beauty is everything. It's like the only thing that exists, the only currency that they have. But Dean disagrees that without it, we are nothing. And it's kind of like he's trying to be diplomatic. He's trying to like spare Gigi's feelings. But the designer tears him down and then Jesse tells him to leave. So she's no longer interested in his like leveling talk his talk about how, you know, people have more to offer than just their beauty, because she's already said that's all she has. He does wait for her at the motel, though, and asks why she wants to be like them. I guess them meaning like Sarah and Gigi, the designer. And she says she doesn't want to be like them. They want to be like her. So again, she has elevated herself hugely. It's no longer like she's new to town. She's just trying to fit in and be a model like everybody else, trying to make her career. She sees everyone else as wanting what she has, even though she got here like three days ago. That night, she has like a weird dream. It's revealed to be some sort of dream or premonition. But basically, she's asleep and Hank, aka Keanu Reeves, comes into her room while she's asleep and puts a knife in her mouth and then like slides it down like into her throat like she's a sword swallower. Um, she then wakes up from this incredibly disturbing thing and sees that her door is like stealthily being opened like the doorknob is turning so she gets up and locks it and then watches as someone still tries to get in and then leaves. But then, and thank God the subtitles detailed this because I couldn't hear it very well, 
we hear a door opening adjacently to like a different room and a woman's like shot noise and then the sounds of what i guess is the same assault happening and i was kind of sitting there thinking like did she like predict this did she feel it coming like some sort of early warning vision and has just sort of deflected it onto this poor 13 year old girl who's meant to be in like one of the adjacent rooms so that's very odd jesse then listens through the wall for a bit and then calls ruby um and says that something bad's happening and ruby tells her to come to her house at no point do either of them phone the police and i feel like this is tied into the kind of narcissistic view that jesse has like as long as she's not in danger as long as it's not happening to her it ceases to be relevant jesse has a shower at ruby's and ruby gives her like some lingerie type slip to wear to bed uh, ruby reveals that she's house sitting this gorgeous huge mansion filled with like gold edged mirrors and tons of other weird stuff uh, ruby then makes a move on jesse and jesse says no uh, that she's a virgin she doesn't want to do that and then ruby insists and like, climbs on top of her and tries to assault her but jesse is able to like kick her off the bed and ruby leaves and draws a creepy face on a mirror in lipstick with like x'd out eyes and a mouth the next day the house is seemingly empty and jesse kind of looks around for ruby but she's not there because she's at work and there's a, a lady on her table she's doing her makeup then she shuts the door climbs on top of the dead lady and does the thing that has the necrophilia warning on this film and i was kind of watching this scene and it didn't feel gratuitous because it was just so disgusting and sad basically it's it's too gross to be in any way like meant to be pornographic like you'd have to be pretty sick to be turned on by this but it was interesting to me the way that she just kind of walks to the door and locks it and then comes back and there isn't really like a hesitation or a, oh my god what am i doing kind of feel to her this feels like something she has done before it feels like something that ruby didn't think that she would do again but is in that kind of way that that res resigned way you see people in films like take out a bottle of vodka when they're a recovering alcoholic and just drink it it's this kind of thing like i thought that i wouldn't be at this point again but i am and I found that quite interesting because obviously it's like this parallel between like getting really close to someone's face and just putting makeup on them, making them pretty like this object to go out and be shot for like a shoot, a photo shoot. And also like on dead people, like she kind of sees them as the same thing. They're just these pretty objects. Intercut throughout this like very disturbing scene we see um jesse at ruby's house wearing this sort of pink chiffon wrap thing that she's found just kind of lying on a sofa and running her hands over herself and we see her later on also wearing this pink thing so at first i thought this was like a fantasy that ruby was concocting but it does literally seem like jesse is just very much feeling herself again that kind of like narcissistic thing like there's no one even there now but she's still delighting in her own appearance and her own like beauty jesse finds a fancy gown uh, just lying out on a bed and decides to put it on and also puts on a lot of glitter makeup like she paints a circle around one of her eyes with glitter and puts on like a lot of blush and just seems very into herself when ruby gets home she finds jesse standing on the diving board above an empty pool in the garden and quite rightly asks her what she's doing and Jessie says that her mother used to call her 
dangerous. Um, and then she gives a little speech about how everyone wants to be her. She says basically like, all these people out here starving themselves to death, having bits hacked off them, going through all of this stuff, just so one day there'll be a second-rate version of me. Like, she's gone completely balls to the wall, evil queen vanity, and this is sort of like her peak awfulness. Jessie then goes inside, where she sees Gigi and Sarah, and although she tries to run, they do attack her. There's a short chase while they pick up kitchen knives and, like, chase her, but she basically ends up backing up to the pool again outside, and then Ruby pushes her in at the deep end, and she, like, cracks her head on the bottom of the pool, presumably breaks her legs or arms or back or anything, but she doesn't get up, and she lies there looking up at the moonless night sky, uh, as the other women like surround her in a triangle and the music kind of sizzles up a notch. The next scene we see is just Ruby in the bath covered in blood and like glitter as well. Um, basically all you can see are like the whites of her eyes. She is dipped in blood and she watches as Sarah and Gigi shower blood off of themselves in the shower. This scene felt gratuitous. Um, the other one didn't so much but this one I was just like you basically just wanted to cover two naked ladies in blood and have them rub each other, didn't you? There's still 20 minutes of this movie to go at this point, and the main character is dead, so I was pretty interested to see what was going to happen. Basically, uh, we see a topless Ruby hosing the blood out of the pool uh, after she's had her bath, and her upper body is like covered in like tattoos. Um, one article that I read about this movie called them occult tattoos. Can't confirm or deny, didn't want to go back and check. But there's definitely some, like, wings and symbols and some odd stuff going on there, so it was pretty weird. She then goes and lies in a fresh grave that's been dug out in the garden. I couldn't tell if Jessie was, like, in there with her, but it would make sense because it's her grave. But she's just casually smoking and lying on her front in the grave, maybe just staring directly into Jessie's face. And then later on, we see a very odd scene. She's just standing in front of this great big window through which you can see the moon and the night sky um and then she lies down in front of it rolls over onto her back like she's giving birth and then blood kind of seeps out of her like again like she's giving birth uh, and she looks kind of happy about this and then we never see ruby again i'll come back to this scene because it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me uh, in like the final scene of the movie we then see sarah and Gigi arriving at a, a big fancy mansion for a shoot um, they both now have blonde hair, not like fully blonde, they're still like black roots, but the ends are blonde, and it was kind of weird to me, I couldn't remember if this had been a thing that had been happening throughout the movie, but they definitely now have more blonde hair, and Sarah appears to have like blue eyes, which I don't think she had before. Uh, so there you go. Another model there called Annie is kind of talking about how one of her friends is nearing her expiration date and so desperate for work that she tried to hunt down someone selling seal fat. No idea what that's meant to do. But then she asks Sarah if she's ever lost a job to a girl before and what she did and Sarah just says, I ate her. Like it's a joke. So it kind of confirms that, you know, the cannibalism happened. They didn't just bathe in Jessie's blood, they also ate her. They start doing this shoot with Jack, the weirdly quiet photographer. Uh, he spots Sarah, like, through the window in the house where she's waiting for Gigi because she's not actually on this shoot. And he tells her, 
like that he wants her in this one and he instantly fires Annie and has her take her place so Sarah has now been seen this is what she wanted all along she was literally spotted from like outside the building she was in she has exactly what she wanted during the poolside shoot however Gigi starts clutching her belly looking sick and kind of subduedly retching um she then like stumbles away on her ludicrous shoes and tippy taffies her way into the bathroom where sarah then finds her like sweaty and pale with like her mascara running down her face this woman looks like she got hit by norovirus but if it was liberally applied to a baseball bat and then used to pound her head in for like the whole of this while she's like writhing on the floor retching and crying out in agony Sarah just stands there like an automatron that has been taken offline. She is like completely dead and empty. You can't even see her eyes anymore because she's wearing these big sunglasses. And then Gigi throws up one of Jessie's eyeballs like straight onto the carpet and then starts saying that she needs to get Jessie out of her and stabs herself to death with a pair of scissors. Sarah doesn't react to this at all, but once Gigi is, you know, dead and covered in blood, she walks over, picks up the eyeball from the carpet, eats it, and then just kind of wanders listlessly back to the photo shoot. And then we go straight to credits. So this movie really put me off my lunch, which is a sign of a good psychological horror movie. It, it, it psychologically dramatised me. Job well done. Uh, it kind of reminded me of the Suspiria remake. It reminded me a little bit of some of the David Cronenberg films that I've seen. Um, it was very visually interesting. It had a lot of like colours and stuff going on. The music was excellent. Um, and it had just kind of like this weird vibe through the whole thing. Like I was on some sort of odd trip. I did look up some stuff about the ending, uh, particularly like Ruby's final scene, because I didn't really get the point of it. Like the Sarah and Gigi thing, it's very clear and kind of on the nose, like they ate her. That's that's basically it. And I kind of felt like the reason Gigi got sick is because it's like her body cannot tolerate real beauty. She's just so synthetic and so unnatural that she can't take in this like purity that jesse had like that was my takeaway from it i was pretty happy with the logic of that ruby's ending i just did not get so i looked up some interviews with the writer director of the movie and he said in an interview with the village voice uh that jenna malone's character who is ruby initiates the whole ceremony of beauty menstruates again and has something flowing through her now, I described that scene as someone giving birth because it did not look like any kind of menstruation I've ever seen in my life. It literally just, like, hoses out of her in this sort of bloody pool. And from the position she was in, it kind of looked like as like giving birth. And I just didn't really get it. It kind of made me think maybe, obviously, she'd been so connected to death very physically connected to it that maybe this was like some sort of sign of like life and that instead of creating this kind of dead impermanent beauty like painted on people's faces she had now created something alive and could possess it entirely uh, that was what i took away from it uh, and i was particularly interested in the moon because jesse says that she thinks of the moon as being like an eye, like it has this sort of sentient presence and the moon is the thing that sees her more than any other person. 
uh, obviously strongly connected to the ideas of like the moon goddess uh, and various goddesses of the moon and beauty but then the moon is absent from her death and it's like that eye has turned away from her forever she has lost the god's favor with her hubris and then later when ruby has that final scene where she gives birth the moon is like looking in at her like she is the new chosen one which i kind of liked uh, obviously that draws on a lot of like my own interpretation of like the moon and pagan symbolism but it kind of made sense to me that the the moon was strongly associated with the feminine similarly the triangle symbols uh, like the one in the center is like a feminine triangle because it has the point pointed down so it's like meant to represent the uterus in, in those triangle symbols. The others have the point pointing up, which is meant to be more masculine. So in like the upside down version, you have like the one masculine upward facing triangle surrounded by the three feminine downward ones. Uh, and Gigi, no, Sarah calls Jesse the sun in winter. So not only does Jesse have like the eye of the moon, she's also the sun. So she has both energies. She's like everything in the universe masculine and feminine all at once in terms of that like dualistic deity vibe whereas the other women are just women they have like the feminine triangle symbol they are more expendable because they aren't as like ruthless and like all those traditionally like masculine traits on top of being feminine like they're not seen that way they're just seen as feminine and expendable and then in like the final scene of the movie at this like poolside photo shoot it's very like overexposed there's a lot of sun there um which is where obviously sarah is being like photographed and is deeply uncaring and again embodying a lot of those masculine traits she's not trying to help Gigi. she's not emotional at all so it seems like she's got that energy from jesse whereas the sort of more feminine moon mother birth energy has been transferred to ruby the mountain lion in the bedroom thing aside from being something that apparently can actually happen um, uh, kind of made me think that it was mostly what made me think this was just jesse's reaction to it being there this kind of like slightly not even bothered just oh now i'm gonna have to explain this kind of expression made me feel like she was sort of like an apex predator so it's like this mountain lion isn't going to bother her because she's stronger than it similarly like she's just been introduced to this like la environment and she's already rising to the top of the food chain she's beating everybody out for work she is becoming the most important the most powerful out of everybody and i find it interesting that this like Maybe this animal was attracted to her room, to her, in the same way that other people were as well. So it's like this energy that's pulling not just humans, but animals, kind of implying that it's of a more primal nature and is just being seen through a lens of like modelling and beauty. Because that's how we as people, as human beings in our beauty-obsessed culture, would perceive that kind of like magnetic energy. At and the way that the other women at the end of the movie come together in Ruby's weird house-sitting house, which is full of taxidermied predators like cheetahs and wolves, they come together almost as a pack to take down this like apex predator as a, as a group, because they don't have the power to do so alone, and then eat her in this very animalistic way, which kind of, again, is like that primal energy which is being taken so far beyond 
the way we as people would perceive it as like animal magnetism to this animal level competition for survival. So that's basically what I got from the movie. Uh, I'm not saying that those are the only ways to interpret those scenes. It's just how I've interpreted them through like watching them and then watching them again in snippets on YouTube just to remind myself what the movie was like. Uh, so thank you for recommending that movie. It was strange. And while I'm not sure again that it had like a lot of witchy content, there's definitely a lot of like witchy stuff you could look into like the different symbolism, like magical geometry, all the different symbolism of like the stars, the moons, the different animals, the colours. Uh, I think it's interesting sometimes to look at things instead of through like a cinematic um, look at like colour theory to just sort of look at it from a magical sense as well. So that's quite fun and amusing, especially if like me you really enjoy disturbing psychological horrors and things like that. So if you like enjoyed Midsummer and Hereditary, this is kind of like a step beyond that. Um, but it's still a really good movie and definitely one that you should watch like on your own because I feel like having anyone around will one be incredibly awkward but will also kind of let you escape and dilute the intense atmosphere of the film. In the meantime if you have anything else you'd like to recommend to completely ruin my day and my brain please drop it in the comments on the YouTube section or you can email me or get in touch via Instagram at WitchFix or Twitter at WitchFixPodcast. I think those are right. Check the description box if you're unsure. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye!